So as I said earlier, um, if this is your first time at St. Matt's, um, then I hope you feel really at home. That's our kind of goal that you would like feel at home. So make yourself at home, whatever that uh, looks like for you. Because our goal, I guess, is that as a church, we'd be more than a community or an institution, but we'd be like um, a family. And that's kind of the goal for us. And so the best way to get to know other people here is um, not just the kind of cheesy bangers five minutes where we play some weird music and talk to each other, uh, but it's, it's the opportunity to get to know people in groups and in teams and in all these other things. And so um, we would absolutely um, love you to get stuck into one of those things and find the place that's right for you. Um, We've been going through a bit of an epic series in the last few weeks. Um, It's probably the longest series of talks that we've ever done. And we've been looking at this gospel named after a guy called Mark. And over the past um, 12 weeks so far, we've been looking at this physical journey that Jesus takes from the place where he's born in Nazareth. And he takes that journey all the way to Jerusalem. And that's where he um, goes. That's where the story ends. And you can catch up with every one of those talks um, so far on our podcast. And a few people didn't know where to find the podcast. So here's my top tips. Search for it on Google. Um, or go on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever else you'd find podcasts. But listen up um, if you would like to, because there's something happening in this story that we've been seeing, that there's like a crescendo coming, that um, the things that Jesus says, the encounters he has, the healings he does, they're all building up to this arrival in Jerusalem, the capital city. And the intensity of Jesus' teaching, it's growing and it's developing around him. And unlike everyone else, he knows where he's going. Like he absolutely knows where he's going. He knows where his journey ends. It ends in betrayal and it ends in pain and it ends in suffering. Uh, It ends in the cross. And you know, sometimes I wonder if we have um, a kind of sanitised picture of Jesus, that Jesus just goes around saying things and doing things that make us feel good and that make us happy. You know, this meek and mild Jesus who's always talking about love and grace. And I sometimes do that. I sometimes imagine Jesus like he's just all meek and mild, full of compassion and grace. But, but as I imagine that, I realise that he doesn't really have any power in my mind to challenge or to change me. But the truth is, that they didn't put Jesus to death on Good Friday because he was meek and mild. He was meek and mild some of the time, but they put him to death because for the religious leaders of the time, it would have been too dangerous to keep him alive. The things that he was saying directly challenged their authority. And so he challenged them and they put him to death for it. And today we're in Mark 13. Who's got their Bible with them? Who's got their Gospel of Mark with them? Paper copy? Yes, 10 out of 10. I see a few copies out there. Um, We are going to read together. It's on page 80 uh, of these books. If you've got one with you, it's also going to appear on the screens. Um, And if you want, you can just grab it on your phone. But I'd encourage you to read it along with us um, in this moment. And um, you can even get the Bible on Android nowadays in case you're um, looking for that. Is it even available there? This has not gone well. Um, So we're going to read together. Let me just get my... um, Get my notes up. Okay, reading from the top, page 80. Jesus was leaving the temple. One of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what huge stones, what wonderful buildings. Do you see these buildings, Jesus asked? Not one stone here will be left on top of another. Every stone will be thrown down. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple. Peter, James and John and Andrew asked him a question in private. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign they're about to come true? Jesus said to them, keep watch. Be careful that no one fools you. Many will come in my name. They will claim I am he. They will fool many people. You'll hear about wars. You'll also hear people talking about future wars. Don't be alarmed. These must happen. But the end still isn't here. Nation will fight against nation. Kingdom will fight against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many places. People will go hungry. All of these things are the beginning of the birth pains. Top of the next page. Watch out. 
You will be handed over to the local courts. You'll be whipped in the synagogues. You will stand in front of governors and kings because of me in the way that you witness to them. The good news has to be preached to all the nations before the end comes. You'll be arrested and brought to trial, but don't worry ahead of time about what you will say. Just say what God brings into your mind. It is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Like, whoa, Jesus, getting a bit intense, right? You know, this is not the meek and mild Jesus that we think he is. This is the Jesus who speaks powerfully into the context. And I want you to keep that passage open on your laps if you can, as we read this and see what Jesus is really saying to us today. I want to speak today about how to be a prophetic voice in a time of change. When everything around you seems uh, like it will never change or it seems like it's broken or unfixable, to be followers of Jesus walking the way that he did means speaking prophetically into the culture and the context around us. I don't know if I mentioned before, but I've, uh, I've been in London this week um, and uh, you can find it on my Instagram, ed.hodges. And um, I love London. Like, I absolutely love London. Before we moved here uh, in 2019, Jess and our daughters and I lived in London. We lived in a few different areas, and I absolutely love that city. It's my second favourite city after the city of dreams that we live in um, right now. Um, But by the time we moved down here in 2019, we'd lived there for seven years, and and it was kind of routine and mundane, and and I'd got used to it. You know, I, I wasn't impressed anymore by the biggest museum and the oldest museum in the world. Like, I wasn't impressed by the huge parks that stretch for miles and miles and miles. I wasn't impressed by the Houses of Parliament covered in gold. I wasn't even impressed by the public transport system that usually actually works and turns up on time, unlike anything we have down here. You know, it all became kind of ordinary and kind of boring and kind of the same. Um, but perhaps this time when I was in London, perhaps it was because of the, the 5 a.m. start that I had to get for my train. Um, or perhaps because I've spent so much time here in Devon like a country lad. Uh, when I got off the train, I was like taken aback by the size and the scale of these buildings, these monuments that were uh, put up and then have lasted for years and years and years, generations and generations. The skyscrapers that, that one minute you blink and then they're like shooting up in front of you and they dwarf you and you feel tiny in front of them. Um, the way the skyline is always changing and things are developing and being built. Like I'm not ashamed to say that I got out of the tube station. I was like, wow, this place is big. I was in awe of it. And I think if you look at this passage, that's the way that the disciples felt uh, when they did this. Some of these guys are just teenage lads who have never been to Jerusalem and they are impressed. They're like country bumpkins uh, from Devon arriving in the big city, overwhelmed by the scale and and the power and the pomp of these buildings. And there's one building that stands out above all the others, the temple. You know, this building was cut from huge stones of, uh, sometimes we call it Jerusalem stone. It's this kind of very light, white-coloured stone. And this building would have been impressive. It would have been vast. When the sun caught it, you would have been able to see it from miles and miles away. It would have captured your attention as you saw it in the distance. It would have looked like, a little bit like an impenetrable fortress with walls going all the way around it. It would have looked like it would last forever. But look what Jesus says in this passage. He says, do you see these huge buildings? Jesus asked, not one stone will be here left on top of another. Every stone will be thrown down. 
Jesus predicts that this building, this enormous structure in front of them is going to be torn down. And he begins to teach his disciples about a time coming when um, the structures and the powers around them will be torn down and uprooted and changed. The wars that he predicts are going to happen. The things that the disciples would have taken for granted, the power and the influence of the temple were going to be changed and come to an end. And on one level, Jesus is reflecting something that actually really happened in AD 70, around 25 years after Jesus' resurrection. There was a war between Jerusalem and the Roman Empire and the temple that they're talking about was torn down, stone by stone, the whole thing left in ruins and rubble. And even to this day, only foundations and parts of walls still exist. But on another level, Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching us about his kingdom. And I think he's teaching us this. The things that we think are immovable are the things that God can change. The things that we think are immovable are the things that God can change. The things that that we think will stay the same forever, the systems, the structures, God can change. Even our habits and our self-destructive patterns of behaviour and thinking, the things that we get stuck in that make us feel ashamed, the choices we make, God can change. And he can tear them down and he can rebuild them. Why? Because his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. It's an eternal kingdom. It's not like Putin's kingdom. You know, Putin's kingdom, which can uh, claim all of this power, that can wheel out a thousand flags for an event in no time at all and then invade the next door neighbour's country. It's not like Rishi Sunak's government, which, you know, let's face it, will be gone in a very short period of time. It's not like the IMF or the United Nations, these great institutions of our time who influence the world and our lives without us even knowing it. This is a kingdom, not of earthly power and influence. It's so much more than that. Jesus' kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And to understand it, we need an eternal mindset. Because when we start to see the world the same way that God sees the world, we get to help demolish the injustices, the struggles and the strongholds that we see around us. 2 Corinthians 10 uh, puts it like this. He says, um, the Apostle Paul, he writes, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought that makes itself obedient to Christ. We get this role in demolishing the unjust structures of our time and rebuilding them in the eyes of the kingdom. And I wonder what structures, what systems are you looking at right now that you think will never change, but Jesus came to tear them down? Like what are the things that you imagine could never change about yourself, your addiction to pornography or to drugs or, or, or a fear or a shame that you just can't seem to get away from? God can tear those walls down. The feeling of injustice that you feel when you see brokenness and hurt and pain in the world. You have that feeling, I want to tell you tonight, because God can tear it down. He can demolish and rebuild. But just don't think it's going to be easy. Don't imagine that it's going to be an easy thing to do. I became a Christian in my late teenage years and I became a Christian mainly because um, I'd Grown up being taken to church, I would say, um, in mostly bad clothes that my parents picked out for me. And by the time I reached kind of 16, 17, um, I didn't want to go anymore. And uh, there was another problem, which is I'd tried to date every single girl in the church youth group. And they'd all said no. And so um, I did the, the sensible thing and I joined another church. Um, 
And so I started going to this church mainly to meet people my age and to get to know them and in the hope that one of them would date me. It didn't work. Um, but I went along and I, I, I met this, I guess, I, I'd been watching people become Christians their whole lives. I'd been watching people make this decision to, to follow Jesus and it didn't look like their lives were any better than mine. It didn't look like it had made that much difference for them. It didn't really look like church was something I wanted to be anything nearby. And if you have just become a Christian or this is your first time in church, you might be wondering the same thing. Like, why would you become a Christian if nothing gets easier? If nothing, if like none of the problems of life go away as soon as you start following Jesus, then why would you do it? And that all changed when I met the vicar of the church, uh, an old guy called Ralph. And Ralph had had his experience of life and it was hard. To follow Jesus had cost him so much. He was uh, Jewish by birth. His father had disowned him when he became a Christian. He spent many of his years alienated from his family. He faced health concerns. He faced challenges all throughout his life. But the way that he talked about Jesus made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Like the way he talked about his relationship with Jesus made me realise that I'd missed the whole point of Christianity. That it wasn't about making my life easier. It wasn't about taking away the problems. It wasn't about giving me some Zen-like state where I would just cruise through life without any trouble. It was about a relationship with a person called Jesus. You know, the way of following Jesus, it's not the wide path. It's the narrow one. It's the difficult one. Jesus guarantees suffering. He guarantees pain and persecution. He even says in this passage, you will be handed over to local courts. You'll be whipped in the synagogues. You'll stand in front of governors and kings because of me in the way that you witness to them. And yet following Jesus, laying down our own lives, laying down our ambitions and our comfort and our security, we find life and life in all its fullness. That's the paradox of the Christian faith. You have to lose your life to find it. This is the invitation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm sorry if you became a Christian and anyone had lied to you and told you this was going to be really easy and told you you'd meet a girlfriend at church or told you that you would get everything you wanted out of following Jesus. Because I want to tell you from my experience, that's just not true. In fact, following Jesus is often the harder path. It's often the more painful one. It's often the more costly one. But like this old Jewish vicar called Ralph, in Jesus, I found someone who loves me more than I love myself, who loves my soul, who has a purpose and a plan for my life. And I believe that's the invitation, to know Jesus, not just to follow him. You know, we're living through one of the most rapidly changing times of the last 2,000 years in human history. In fact, I looked up this earlier today, that the, the amount of time it's taken for humans to raise and rear cattle um, and turn them into a food source, sorry vegans, um, is, is such a long time compared to how long it took for McDonald's to develop the cheeseburger, cook it from frozen to fully cooked in less than 70 seconds and make it available around almost all of the world. Like the world is changing at such a pace around us. So much is changing. In fact, um, somebody once said, change is the only constant. And I think that's never been more true than it is right now. We're on the cusp of a tech revolution. Who here's used ChatGPT to write a, an essay or something? A few hands going down there, classic. Um, I've used ChatGTP. Like, I feel like it's replaced me. I just type in what I want it to write and it writes perfectly for me. Some of you will get emails from me that have been written by ChatGPT. I'm really sorry about that, but it's so effective. We're living in this time where technology is developing at a pace, but we're also living in a time when our culture is becoming increasingly post-Christian. 
a society that's not only uninterested in the message of Jesus, it's actually unaware of the message of Jesus. Doesn't even know that Jesus is relevant to them. People walk past this building in the week and they look up and they think, oh, that's a nice historic monument, but I have no idea why it was built or who it was built for. We're living in a time of drastic change. A a time when I think in the West, in our culture, um, we're moving from one era into another era. And we need to be aware of that because don't get me wrong, it's always risky to predict the future. Um, I'm not gonna do that tonight, but it's not hard to see that many of the things that Jesus is talking about in this passage, the signs of the end of times are happening around us now. Um, Jesus' kingdom has only been partially realised in our world. We don't see it all yet, but we do see the wars. We do see the earthquake. We do see the groans and the pain and the suffering. But notice what Jesus says about that. He says, all these things are the beginning of birth pains. This might apply to some of you, but not all. I've been front row ringside seat for two births. And I can't say that it was painful because I didn't experience any pain, but I can imagine that it is. And watching that process as a baby comes into the world and the struggle and the suffering and the pain that comes with it. You know, it's this picture that Jesus is using to explain the new creation that's coming about. It's not just us who can be born again into new life and have an eternally new start. Jesus is saying that new birth doesn't just apply to us, it also applies to the world around us. God's making all things new. In Romans 8, it says this about that. It says, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. You can tell that was written by a bloke, right? Simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're feeling full of birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. And if that's true, and I'm I'm pretty convinced it is, that we're living in a time when an era is changing into another one. I wonder what kind of people do we need to be? How do we need to follow Jesus in that time when everything is changing all around us? When change is the only constant, how do we need to follow Jesus in this season? Well, one of those things is to speak up about Jesus and the kingdom, to talk about it. It says at the end, uh, in, yeah, the end of that passage, it says, you will be arrested and brought to trial. But don't worry ahead of time about what you'll say. Just say what God brings to your mind at the time. It's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Even when we're persecuted and struggling, we're called to be a prophetic voice in a time of change. Like we're called to allow God to speak through us into the lives of other people, into the things that seem difficult and painful and are struggling around us. That might mean speaking truth to power. Anyone had experience of that? It is hard. It might be writing letters to those in authority. My grandma's really good at that. It might be challenging the culture in which you find yourself that's full of bullying and abuse. But I tell you what, it might also mean this. It might also mean talking to your friends and your family and your classmates and your neighbours about your faith in Jesus. It's not what we say that matters. God speaks through us in those moments, but I believe we're called to be a prophetic voice, to speak into their lives about the coming kingdom of God. God speaks through us. And I'd like to think that this Easter, that's what God's called us to do. He's called us to be a prophetic voice, to speak into the lives of other people around us, to talk about our faith. And that takes courage. That takes cojones. That takes a real strength of character. And as we do that, 
we should never lose sight of the one who called us to follow him, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and his kingdom, not to be distracted, not to be fearful, and not even to be impressed by the kingdoms that are built up around us, but instead to fix our eyes on the one whose kingdom we belong in. And I would love us to pray for that tonight. So would you jump to your feet and stand with me?